series now of God and the Dog, looking at John chapter 5. So if you want to turn open to John chapter 5, we're going to read the last seven verses together. We're going to read verses 41 through to 47. So Jesus is speaking here, beginning at verse 41. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you see, receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Well, I don't think it's controversial to say that for many people, if not most people, believing in the claims of Jesus is not an easy or natural thing to do. For those of us who are Christians and maybe have been Christians for a long time, we can't really think back or remember the time whenever we didn't believe the claims of Jesus. And so when we share them with someone or present them to someone, we can find it quite frustrating whenever they don't sign up and say, yes, I want to believe that straight away as well. But you don't have to do very much exploring or talk to very many people to see that people struggle to believe for a whole wide variety of reasons. For many atheists, we know that they struggle to believe the claims of Jesus because <coughs> they don't see the empirical evidence that they would like to see that their worldview requires. For many people, they look at the morality of Jesus, at the way he calls people to live, and think, if that's what Jesus is offering, I want nothing to do with that. And for others, belief in Jesus just seems unnecessary, it seems irrelevant, it seems boring, it seems just plain weird. If you know anybody who's wrestling with issues like this, then next week will be a really great week to invite someone along from your workplace or a friend because we're going to be looking at a big question next week. If God is real, why doesn't he make himself clear? But we also see some answers to those questions in John chapter 5. And if you've been here or if you've been listening along on the podcast the weeks you can't be here, then you'll know that Jesus has been on trial. After healing a lame man, the Jewish religious leaders fed up with Jesus. They began a cross-examination of him. They've being frustrated with all that he's saying, with how he's challenging the status quo, and they're looking to get rid of him, to have him killed, or at least to shut him up. So two weeks ago, when Sam was speaking, earlier in John chapter 5, we saw that despite the claims that they were bringing against Jesus, he answered those claims and made some extraordinary claims about himself. Mainly, that we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then last week, we looked at the three witnesses Jesus then brought in to back up his claims. How John the Baptist was the one who came to point forward to Jesus coming, and everything John said was fulfilled. 
how the testimony of God the Father and the works that Jesus was doing showed that his claims could be vindicated. And then how the scriptures themselves, the Old Testament, pointed to Jesus coming as Messiah and as the Son of God. And so despite being on trial, despite having all these questions lobbied at him, Jesus turned the tables on the religious leaders and put them on trial. He pointed out how they were missing the witnesses of the claims that were right in front of them that they should have been saying. So let's look at today's passage and how he finishes up this confrontation. Look first of all at John 5.40 and it's where we ended last week and the claim that Jesus makes against the religious leaders. What does he say? He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus has made his bold claim. He's brought his witnesses and he said, despite all this, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I think of the crowd that Jesus is addressing. These are people who have dedicated their whole lives to knowing truth about God, their religious leaders. And yet Jesus is saying that what is true for so many people that we know is true for them as well. Despite all the evidence, they are finding it hard to believe. Despite their privileged position as the religious elite of their day, they're missing the point entirely. And they're refusing to come to Jesus that they may have life. Well, these seven verses or so aren't going to answer all of our questions about why people might find it hard to believe in Jesus. But in what Jesus says here, we see why these religious leaders find it so hard to believe in him. And that gives us some clues that are helpful for us as we are doubting and wrestling with things ourselves and as we're sharing our faith with others. So he points out two problems that these religious leaders have that make it so hard, so difficult for them to believe the claims of Jesus. The first one is a confused motivation. See that in verses 41 to 44. He makes his own motivation really clear, first of all. In verse 41, look down and see what he says there. He says, I do not receive glory from people. That's a really important place for us to start. Why is Jesus doing all these things that he's doing in the gospel? Why has Jesus come at all? Well, it's important to see that his motivation isn't the praise of the people around him. He hasn't come to get a pat on the back. He hasn't come to gather a huge crowd for his own ego. And contrast that with the motivation that Jesus gives for the religious leaders. Look at verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So Jesus is contrasting them and himself and he's making it clear that a huge problem they have, one of the big reasons for their unbelief is their confused motivation. Whereas he's not motivated by receiving glory from other people. They are concerned, not with glory from God, but with patting each other on the back. By praising each other, by looking impressive in each other's eyes. And can this be a real temptation for us as well? When we look at our working lives, how easy is it to have a skewed motivation to go in in the morning and instead of thinking, today I'm going to go into the office and I'm going to do the best job I can for the glory of God. Instead to think, today I really want to impress my boss. I want to show him what I'm capable of. I want to show that I'm something special, that I should get that team, I should get that promotion, I should get that project. This is the way the religious leaders were thinking. It 
totally changed their focus and what they were looking for. Their motivation was their own glory and their own praise and not God's. Look down at verse 42. Jesus makes this point even more strongly. He says, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. Now this is a strong statement. We sometimes think of Jesus as only saying really gentle and kind things. But considering he's speaking to a group who already want him killed. Jesus is not concerned with protecting their feelings. But it's such a strong statement because the love of God is such a central component of the Judeo-Christian faith. In Deuteronomy 6, there's a summary given of the entire law that these religious leaders claim to hold to. And the command that's given to summarize the whole law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. Love for God is not a minor part of living for him. It's very central. So when Jesus says, I know that you do not have the love of God in you, that's a damning indictment. It's no minor thing. Then look at verse 43. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. He's saying, if you truly loved God, if you truly wanted to follow him, you would have recognized me for who I am. If they had loved the Father, then they would have also followed and loved the Son. What's interesting is that when we look at historical documents and historical studies of the time period, there are actually no shortages of men coming and claiming to be the Messiah. And there are plenty of occasions when the Jewish leaders would follow along with these pretenders to the throne. And what Jesus is saying is, right, they followed people who came in their own names instead of in God's names. Why? Because normally they were proclaiming exactly what they wanted to hear. And again, isn't this a huge part of how we often decide if we want to believe someone or not? We all fall victim to confirmation bias. You see it in social media. You see it in the news and debates. Someone has a settled position and they go and they find an expert who's going to affirm what they already believe. We're all prone to this and the Jewish leaders were no exception. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and affirm everything they were doing, who would pat them on the back, who would say, yes, you guys are doing everything right. And instead, when they encountered the Christ who called them out, who pointed out their blind spots, they were so annoyed by this, not only could they not believe in him, but they wanted him gone. Why did they find it so hard to believe? Because they had confused motivations. They wanted a Messiah who would come and affirm them just the way they are. And the claims of Jesus were so challenging that they ignored the witnesses. They wouldn't listen to him and what he had to say. Sometimes people just don't want to believe. Their minds are made up, their hearts are hard, their motivation isn't a genuine search for truth. And that's what we see with these religious leaders here. But the second problem that they have is a confused understanding in verses 45 to 47. Look at what Jesus says to them next. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And again, remember the audience. Imagine how angry this would have made them. These were the Moses guys. They were on team Moses. The law was what they had dedicated their life to. And entering into this debate with Jesus, they thought, well, if anything's going to back us up, it's going to be Moses. If you remember how this whole debate started, it's because Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath and they accused him of being a lawbreaker. 
They know Moses. He's their guy. And Jesus says, actually, it's Moses, the one in whom you have set your hope. It's him that accuses you. It's him that points out where you're going wrong. Why? Look at the next couple of verses. For if you really believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They thought they knew the law. They thought they knew it inside and out. But in seeing the law as an end in and of itself, they missed the one to whom the law pointed. They trusted in Moses instead of the one about whom Moses was writing. What was the purpose of the law? For some of those religious leaders, the purpose was to give them a standard, a complete list of rules, that if we complete this, God has to love us. God has to honor us. But this isn't what the law, the Old Testament commands. And it's not what the law said about itself. Listen to how Moses himself describes the purpose of the law in Deuteronomy 31. In verse 26 he says, Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of your Lord your God. Why? So that it may be there as a witness against you. The purpose of that law, according to Moses himself, was to be a witness against them to expose our shortcomings to show our sinfulness and our need of a saviour. To be a witness against us showing how far short we fall of God's glory. And Jesus is saying, if you'd really known Moses, if you'd really understood what he was saying, you'd have known this. And you would have then recognised Jesus for who he was. Instead, they placed their trust in their own ability to keep the law And they had a totally confused understanding of how God works. Isn't this an easy excuse for so many people to use when they struggle to believe the claims of Jesus? Do you know, I couldn't go in for all that church stuff. I'm not a good person like you. I couldn't measure up. I need to sort my life out first. Or maybe the other way around. Or if there is a God, well, I know I'm a good person. And he's going to have to accept me because I'm definitely better than most. These are both complete misunderstandings of how God works. A confused understanding about belief in Jesus can be just as toxic as a confused motivation. And both make it really hard for us to believe. In John 5, Jesus has been in the dock. He's been on trial. He's had charges brought against him. And he's made some extraordinary claims. He's brought his witnesses and he's turned the tables against those making the charges against him. But how does this passage help us answer that question for ourselves or help others answer the question, why is it so hard to believe? In Jesus' challenge to the religious leaders, we see these two really common problems and with our eyes open, we can see them all around us. We see a confused motivation where if we're coming to God just to find some all-powerful being in the sky to affirm everything we already think and believe and do. But we're looking in the wrong place. What sort of God would God be if it turned out that he believed everything that we believe? If he never challenged us, if he never disagreed with us, he'd be no good at all. He'd just be an extension of our own ego. Instead, if we want to know God, if we want to believe, we have to come to him in humility. We have to come to him on his own terms ready to hear what it is he has to say to us. 
And then we can also see a confused understanding. Jesus is not interested in karma. We do not earn God's favor. We do not have to measure up or reach a certain standard. But we know God only through the grace of Christ. When we have our understanding of the gospel wrong, it's incredibly hard to believe the claims of Jesus. But what's really beautiful about John's gospel as you read through it is that it doesn't just tell us all the wrong things to do. It also serves as an invitation. If you can, turn back to John chapter 1. If we've seen today why it's hard to believe, we're going to look at John chapter 1 verses 9 to 13 and see the invitation to believe and how free that invitation is. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is Jesus, the Son of God, as he claimed to be. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And we see that so clearly with these religious leaders. But then listen to what comes next in verses 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We have to hold our hands up as Christians and say at times it is really hard to believe. There are many things that can get in our way. But look at how free the offer of the gospel is. To all who receive him, who believe in his name. Not to all who measure up, not to all who have it figured out, not to all who know the right answers, not to all who perfectly fulfill the law, but to all who simply believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Let's not be like those religious leaders who thought they had it all figured out, but so desperately and tragically missed the point. Instead, let's not give in to the barriers to belief, the things that make it so hard for us. Instead, just simply believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. Believe in all that he has done for us in the gospel so that we might be called children of God. Shall we pray together? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you that as we've been looking at chapter 5 of John, we have seen so clearly the claims that you make. You're not just a good teacher, you're not just an historical figure, but the Lord Jesus is the very Son of God. Father, when we find it hard to believe, would you help us not to be confused by the wrong motivations, not to be confused by misunderstandings, but instead to see you as you truly are and to believe in your name. We, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.